And good evening, everyone. Welcome to Wednesday Night Bible Study. We're glad that you're here. This is a broadcast, our daily broadcast from the digital campus of Newark United Pentecostal Church. We are excited that you're here. And uh, real quick shout out to all of our first time guests. If you're here for the first time with us, welcome. And uh, you need to choose whether you want to interact with us via Facebook or YouTube. You can do either, but you need to choose one of those. Or if you simply want to watch the broadcast, you can find that at newarkupc.info. But again, emphasis at that live tab in newarkupc.info, you cannot chat with us. So if you want to interact and ask questions, you need to go to either YouTube. And there's a link there, either YouTube or Facebook, and join us there. We are excited tonight to have our executive pastor with us, who's going to be doing the Bible study. And as always, we've got Desi, our co-host. And uh, Hello. Our Good evening, everyone. So welcome and the lady of the night. Well, that's the wrong phrasing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that is the wrong phrasing. <laughs> there that's we one go. Where you say something and as it's coming out of your mouth, your brain you goes, oh, no, no, like, that's not what I meant. That's not what I meant. But anyway, our guest of honor. Anyway, so Leela, I want to get out of the way and give you optimum time to those. If this is your first time, ready your questions, jot them down. And when it comes time for questions, we simply ask and we'll remind you on the screen. We simply ask that you would uh, preface your question by in all caps, if possible, question. That just helps us through all of our interaction. During COVID-19, we all like to talk to one another, but it happens in the chat feature. In fact, I've yep. I've laughed with the team that when we get back to church, I'm going to yell at you all that if you talk as much in church as you have online, I'm going to get after you because you all jabber constantly. But I understand. And uh, there's a reason and we get it. So if you help us kind of parse through that by putting question in front of it. So but I want to get out of the way. Desi and I are going to come off screen and uh, mute ourselves. And Leela, it is all yours. All right. Well, greetings, church family. It's good to see you all. And uh, this this live format is a little unnerving here, but hey, we're going to give it a go. Um, we're going to continue our series tonight uh, on personal worship. And uh, I'm going to focus more on the aspect of worship as a lifestyle. And we've been breaking it down in different, in different aspects. But before I jump in, um, let's pray and let's ask God to be with us tonight. Jesus, Lord, we thank you, God, for this opportunity to gather in your name. God, I thank you for all these precious people who are tuning in to our service tonight, God. Minister to us uh, tonight, God, through your word. Be in our midst this night, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, um, I, to demonstrate uh, an example of awesome, and you'll see what I mean by awesome personal worship, uh, we're going to look at the book of Daniel. I love Daniel. And even as I went back and read this familiar story uh, for this particular Bible study, uh, I love him even more. Like, dude is awesome, and and I think you'll agree with that when I as I as I go through and point out some some of um, his stellar examples of, of worship. Um, so I'm going to read a lot of the first six, actually five. So I'm not doing three because I'm not going to focus on tonight uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But I'm going to read a lot. Uh, uh, you're not going to have scripture up on your your screen because I don't want to distract you. You can just listen. Uh, but definitely in your own time, go back and read for yourself the details of Daniel 1 through 6. Because I want to focus in on tonight um, three things. Yeah. What Daniel was facing, uh, how he responded, 
and in turn, how God responded. And so um, I'm going to do my dead level best to kind of hone in on that. So I'm going to read chunks as I go and then stop and, and talk a little bit. So I'm going to start with Daniel 1. Um, and it says, during the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. So Nebuchadnezzar took him back to the land of Babylonia and placed them in the treasure house of his God. So let me just point out a few things here um, to sort of set us up as we go forward. Um, one is that not only were there sacred objects taken from Jerusalem to Babylon, but there were also some of the royal family. There were people. Um, there were, there were uh, folks in the royal family, those that were considered nobility. So the best of the best. And this was a common practice in the ancient world. Um, you would take the best from countries that you would besiege and you would bring them back to your nation. And they would, in turn, you would indoctrinate them. And we'll talk about this as we go along. Um, and they would, in turn, benefit uh, your country. Uh, so also the objects that were taken uh, from the temple of God, this was, a, this was significant. You know, we think of countries um, or battles being won and they would take the loot as a you know, as a reward, that kind of thing. But it wasn't just in terms of value, in terms of gold and silver and that. But, but this, was, this was a God thing. In fact, um, we, we take your objects that were, because remember, if you, if you notice here that I read that they took those objects from the temple of God, uh, of their God. And, and, and so when you take these objects, this, this was a way of making your God inferior to my God. So this was a big, fat God battle going on. So we're going we're gonna to read a story tonight of an epic God battle. Uh, so it wasn't just the material uh, aspect of this. I should have got my my something off over here. I got sound dinging. Um, but anyway, this wasn't just about material things. It was about whose God is bigger, whose God is, is greater. And um, so as we as we read, I want you to pay attention uh, for that uh, for that theme. Hey, Leo, so, let me break. Yeah. Let me break in with you for a moment. Why you fix your phone? What's really funny, folks? It's I don't not. Even know what that is. No, what's funny is is that you're getting blown up by members of the pastoral team and staff who are doing exactly what I was talking about, chatting in the middle of church, what? and that's what you're that's what you're getting blown up on. So right now we're yelling at our AV tech, who will remain nameless. We will not name him. All who know know who he is. Who's currently sitting at the church, gloating by the fact that he's watching you on the large screen in church, and he and another member of the pastoral team, who will remain nameless, are chatting about this. So anyway, go to another chat feature, people, and let the poor woman teach us. That's right. Go I'm coming to off the that. screen again. <laughs> Thank you for rescuing me. All right, so let's pick up in our story. So. As I mentioned, not only were things taken, but people were taken back to, to Babylon. So I'm going to pick up at verse three of one. And it says, so the king that would have been Nebuchadnezzar told Aspenaz, head of the palace staff, to get some Israelites from the royal family and nobility. Young men who are healthy and handsome and intelligent, well-educated, good prospects for leadership uh, positions in the government, perfect specimens and indoctrinate them in the Babylonian language and the lore of magic and fortune telling. The king then ordered that they be served from the same menu as the royal table, the best food, the finest wine. You'll notice here that I'm reading from the message. I'm in love with the message right now. Uh, after three years of training, they would be given positions in the king's court, 
four young men from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were among those selected. The head of the palace staff gave uh, them Babylonian names. Daniel was named Belteshazzar, Hananiah was named Shadrach, Mishael was uh, named Meshach, and Azariah was named Abednego. But Daniel determined that he would not defile himself by eating the king's food or drinking his wine. So he asked the head of the palace staff to exempt him from the royal diet. Uh, I'm, remember, you were reading your own, I'm skipping some. Uh, but Daniel appealed to the steward who had been assigned to the head of the palace staff to be in charge of Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Try us out for 10 days on a simple diet of vegetables and water. Then compare us to the young men who eat from the royal menu. Make your decision on the basis of what you see. The steward agreed to do it and fed them vegetables and water for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked better and more robust than all the others who had been eating from the royal menu. So the steward continued to exempt them from the royal uh, menu, uh, food and drink served, and served them only vegetables. And God gave these four young men knowledge and skill in both books and life. In addition, Daniel was gifted in understanding all sorts of visions and dreams. At the end of the time set by the king for their training, the head of the royal staff brought them into Nebuchadnezzar. When the king interviewed them, he found them far superior to all other young men. God gave these four young men knowledge and skill in both books and life. And so they took their place in the king's service. Whenever the king consulted them on anything, on books or in life, he found them 10 times better than the magicians and enchanters of his kingdom put together. So let's unpack some of this that we just read. Now let's, let's first talk about um, being fed from the king's table. I don't know about you, but I envision you know, uh, this long you know, banquet table that folks would come to, wh whoever the king allowed to, and come and you know, eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner with the king. And that's not what the king's table was about. Um, and you, you might want to think it more as food rations. In other words, um, in the case of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were more dependents of the state. So you could, you would be supplied food. You would, you know, not only you, but other, lots of other people could be, um, you know, others, high ranking members, administration, uh, craftsmen, diplomats, things like that. But you would be provided food um, from the king. So it wasn't food as in common meals are prepared and you come and sit and eat. So I just want to clarify that. I think that's a common uh, misunderstanding. Uh, and the refusal of the king's meat I know we like to think it has to do with vegetables versus meat. You know, a lot of people think, you know, oh, you know, the Daniel fast and you know, vegetables are much better than than meat and that guy. But that's nearly, that's not really what that issue was about. Uh, you know, Jews were allowed to, to eat meat as so long as it was kosher and prepared, you know, uh, the right way. That it wasn't a meat thing. Um, neither was wine necessarily the issue. Jews were allowed to drink wine, but uh, this was really, really about Daniel wanting to preserve his identity and worship of his God. This was one way when your life is being overtaken and literally their, their, their lives literally belong uh, to the king. This was a way of pushing back. This is a way of preserving uh, his worship. Uh, we also noted in that first, in that chapter, I just read the whole renaming issue. And, and again, this was all about um, exercising authority over people and in, 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 in their destiny by renaming them. These, in this case, the Babylonian name, which also would, would have given a nod to their, to their deity, to their God. And so Daniel was exerting um, his identity. I'm going to find a way in this 
difficult situation, in this less than ideal situation, to stay true to my God, to stay true to who I am. And if you know in verse uh, 17 and 19, as I read, in turn, God rewarded their faithfulness. You know, God gave those men, as he said, uh, skill and knowledge above uh, any others, even in Babylon. And so God rewarded that, um, that desire to stay faithful to him, uh, even in another, another country. And so this week, again, I remind you that we're continuing our series on uh, worship as a lifestyle. And here, here is a perfect example of being put in an unfair situation. You know, uh, Daniel and his friends were in Babylon, not as a result of something that they had did. You know, the king um, Jehoiakim had made some bad decisions, obviously wasn't pleasing God, and God allowed this thing to happen. Um, as you, if you go back to uh, the first, um, to the beginning of Daniel, you'll see that. But they were they were in this situation through no fault of their own. Um, you think about it, you find yourself in situations like that sometimes. Um, but nonetheless, they were going to maintain who they were, no matter what. So worship isn't something that you do when you're in the ideal scenario. Uh, in this case, they weren't in Jerusalem. You know, didn't have access to the synagogue or you know, to, to other people of like faith, other than maybe the small uh, number that were with them there in Jerusalem. Um, and so it wasn't convenient. It, it wasn't about, um, you know, being able to, you know, right now we're missing being in church. You know, we, we want to be with people of like faith. And, and so my point is they were out of their element. They could have easily just kind of settled into and assimilated into the Babylonian way, but they understood that their whole lives were dedicated to Yahweh, that they were going to worship him even in a foreign land, even amongst the foreign people. They were going to, they were going to stay true. And uh, and so they did. So I'm skipping down to um, chapter two. And uh, we're going to look at uh, when Nebuchadnezzar had that dream. You know, he had the dream about the, the statue. And he said he called the Babylonian magicians, enchanters and sorcerers and fortune tellers uh, to interpret his dream. But the fortune teller said, Nobody anywhere can do what you ask. So not only did Nebuchadnezzar ask them to interpret the dream, but he but he threw a little monkey wrench in there and he says, not only do I want you to interpret the dream, but I want you to tell me what the dream is in the first place. That's kind of hard, right? They couldn't do it. And so they says, nobody anywhere can do what you ask. And no king, great or small, has ever demanded anything like this from any position, enchanter, fortune teller. What you're asking is impossible unless some god or goddess should reveal it. And they don't hang around people like us. I thought that was really funny. So they deemed it impossible. Now, the king was furious. Verses uh, 12 and 13 says, that set the king off. He lost his temper and ordered the whole company of Babylonian wise men killed. Uh, when, death, when the death warrant was issued, Daniel and his companions were included. They were also marked for execution. When Ariok, chief of the royal guard, was making arrangements for execution, Daniel wisely took him aside and quietly asked, what's going on? Why all this all of a sudden? After Ariok filled Daniel in uh, on the background, Daniel went to the king and asked for a little time so that he could interpret the dream. Daniel then went home and told his companions, Hananiah, Mishael, and Az Azariah, what was going on. He asked them to pray to God. Pray to the God of heaven for mercy in solving this mystery so that the four of them 
wouldn't be killed along with the whole company of the Babylonian wise men. Again, we're talking about personal worship here. Um, imagine being in that position. You know, he wasn't even with the wise men who came, you know, the, the first time, obviously. He had to hear about it secondhand. Uh, sound like there was a rumor mill going on, which is why he pulled uh, Ariok to decide and ask him what's going on. But he, but nonetheless, he was going to be executed like the rest of them. So note, note Daniel's response. Now I'm talking, he's in a foreign land amongst foreign people. And he, the scripture said he wisely took him aside quiet and asked what was going on. You know, I can imagine some, some of us losing our minds. Sometimes when we're outside of our element and or when we're faced, um, you know, with scary circumstances, we just want to go off. You know, what's happening? Just, you know, acting all crazy. And, and maybe I'll, I won't say that. Um, but no, he, he, he kept his cool and he asked him what's going on. And then he went home and he consulted with his boys, I'll say. And he said, let's ask God of heaven to solve this mystery. It's a form of worship. We talk about prayer as worship. This is, this is what we do. Why would we do anything else, right? We belong to him. So let's ask God to help us. And again, he didn't lose his mind. He didn't conspire with Hananiah and, and Mishael and, and Azariah to plan some kind of revolt or do something radical. Let's continue to do what we always do, which is worship. In this case, we're going to worship by calling on God for help. That night, the answer to the mystery was given to Daniel in a vision. God showed up. And so um, let's, let's drop down. So he comes back before the king. I'm getting ahead of myself over here. And Daniel answered the king. He, he goes in before the king to tell him he has the, the um, interpretation of the dream. And he says to the king, no mere man can solve the king's mystery. I don't care who it is. No wise man, no enchanter, no magician, no diviner. But there is a God in heaven who solves mysteries. And he has solved this one. He is letting King Nebuchadnezzar know what's going to happen in the days ahead. Note here that Daniel made sure to give God the glory. Not, oh, look at me, I'm so great. You know, I have the interpretation of the dream for you. No, let me tell you who exactly gave me the interpretation of the dream. God did. So he made sure he gave God credit, and then he uh, proceeded to interpret the dream about the huge statue for the king. Here's, here's Nebuchadnezzar's response. When Daniel finished, King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face in awe before Daniel. He ordered the offering of sacrifices and burnt, uh, burning of incense in Daniel's honor. And he said to Daniel, your God is beyond question, the God of all gods, the master of all kings. He solves all mysteries. I know because he solved this one. It was not lost on Nebuchadnezzar how huge this was. He knew that that bunch of, uh, I'm, I'm envisioning this kind of ragtag uh, enchanters and, and um, you know, advisors, you know, weren't, I think he knew they weren't legit. But when he made this statement, your God is beyond, is the, um, is beyond question. He's the, uh, the God of all God. That was huge. You know, in the ancient world, this God thing was big. You know, my God is bigger than your God. That's, but your God is a, is, is, is beyond all gods. So Nebuchadnezzar was giving big props to God. And so what was the outcome ultimately? Daniel, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were promoted and God was glorified. So we're talking about when your life is submitted to God and when you maintain who you are in all circumstances, then you unleash God to do work uh, in your life, to, to work beyond what you could even imagine. And so here we see the outcome of that. 
All right, I'm skipping down to chapter four, uh, where now Nebuchadnezzar has another dream. And this is a dream about a dream about the tree. And so he says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was living in my palace in comfort and prosperity. But that night I had a dream that frightened me. I saw visions that terrified me as I lay in my bed. So I issued an order calling in the wise men of Babylon so that they could tell me what my dream meant. When all the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and fortune tellers came in, I told them the dream, but they could not tell me what it meant. At last, Daniel came in before me and I told him the dream. Okay, so he's telling Daniel his dream again. So Daniel interprets his dream. And then upon hearing this, I'm, I'm dropping way down the story. Daniel was afraid to tell the king what the dream meant because it wasn't good news for Nebuchadnezzar. So, so verse 19 says, upon hearing this, Daniel was overcome for a time, frightened by the meaning of the dream. Then the king said to him, Belteshazzar, don't be alarmed by the, by the dream and what it means. And Belteshazzar replied, I wish the events foreshadowed in this dream would happen to your enemies, my Lord, and not to you. That's wild. I meditated at the outset. I'm probably going to say wild quite a few times uh, in this Bible study because some of this just kind of blew me away. What a response. Remember, Daniel's probably been in Babylon for quite some time now, but he's not Babylonian and he's not there of his own volition. And he, you know, he doesn't have his freedom to come and go, maybe within the confines of Babylon, but you know, he can't just up and pack his back. He's still a captive, if you will. And, and his response to the king um, is not only with respect, but even with affection. You know, I, I wish it would happen to your enemies. And even if you pay attention to how the king uh, spoke to, to Daniel, there's a relationship that's been built here, uh, clearly between the king and Daniel. And so, again, in the sense of talking about worship as a lifestyle, Daniel is demonstrating compassion, kindness. He, he, you know, it's not his king, per se. You know, he, he's, he, but I'm, I still care about what happens to him. Some, somehow he's demonstrating compassion. You know, it makes me think of the, uh, the scripture that says that, you know, we should love our enemies and do good to those. Uh, do good to those who despitefully use us. Here's an example of that. I'm, you know, he's in a strange land. You know, he, it, if you remember by what means he got there, you know, I was taken to this land, but yet I'm wishing good somehow for the king. Uh, and so that's a pretty big statement to me that, that Daniel would speak to him uh, in that manner. Okay, so Daniel interprets the dream. Uh, and we, we all know the outcome of that. Again, God was given glory. Uh, he was uh, elevated and all was well for uh, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. All right, so let's drop down. So time has passed. Uh, now Nebuchadnezzar has died and a new king is in power, King uh, Belshazzar. And chapter five says, many years later, King Belshazzar gave a great feast for 1,000 of his nobles and he drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking the wine, he gave orders to bring the gold and silver cups that his predecessor Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. He wanted to drink from them with his nobles, his wives and his concubines. So they brought these gold uh, cups taken from the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, 
and the king and his nobles and his wives and his concubines drank from them. While they drank from them, they praised their idols made of God, made of gold, I'm sorry, silver, bronze, iron, and stone. And remember, I tell you that this whole, you know, taking of things uh, from the, the temple of the God, this, this was a, you know, a whose God is bigger than the other God. So this was extremely disrespectful. So while you are drinking from uh, the the vessels that were dedicated to the to the God of, of, of the Israelites, while you're doing that, you're praising your gods. And so they were saying, you know, aha, you know, now you're you're inferior to us. And so suddenly they saw a finger, a human hand writing on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace near the lampstand. The king himself saw the hand as he wrote and his face turned pale with fright. His knees knocked together in fear and his legs gave way beneath him. But here we go again. But when all the kings and wise men had come in, none of them could read the writing or tell them what it meant. So the king grew even more alarmed and his face turned pale. His nobles too were shaken. But when the queen mother heard what was happening, she hurried to the banquet hall. She said to Belshazzar, long live the king. Don't be so pale and frightened. There's a man in your kingdom who has within him the spirit of the holy gods. So they sent for Daniel. And Daniel comes again. Uh, and he's brought in before the king. And the king says to Daniel, if you can read these words, tell me their meaning. You will be clothed in purple robes of royal honor and you will have gold chains placed around your neck and you will become the third highest ruler in the kingdom. This, this is big stuff here. Uh, so note Daniel's response. Daniel says to the king, keep your gifts and give them to someone else. But I will tell you uh, what the writing means. And he goes on to tell uh, King Belshazzar what the, what the meaning of the, of the writing is. So first, before he did that, he reminded the king of his predecessor, King Nebuchadnezzar. He reminded him of his arrogance. He reminded him of, of where that led him, how that you know, caused him to have to go around on all fours. And he, he just recapped it all for him. And he reminded him of Nebuchadnezzar's re restoration when he humbled himself. And then he says in verse 22, you are his successor, O Belshazzar, and you knew all this, yet you have not humbled yourself. For you have proudly defied the Lord of heaven and have these cups from his temple brought before you. You and your nobles and your wives and concubines have been drinking wine from them while praising gods of silver, gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Gods that neither see nor hear nor know anything at all. But you have not honored the God who gives you breath, the breath of life and controls your destiny. So he has sent this hand to write this message. Okay, so he goes on, I'm trying to stay focused here on the on uh, the topic at hand here, not get too down in the weeds. But again, what was the outcome? Daniel was honored and proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Uh, and God's enemy, in this case, Belshazzar, uh, was killed that very night. I don't know if that's a good thing, but it's not good to do what he did. And my point here is God showed up, right? So Daniel was faithful. God shows up. <clears throat> so Daniel lived, uh, Daniel served through at least three administrations in, in Babylon, which is which is also pretty big. So I'm going to get down to the last chapter, which is chapter six really quick. 
Um, and we'll read one more story uh, and, and take note of, of what happened. Uh, so now we have a new king. Now, King Darius, uh, uh, the Mede is on the throne. And the king chose Daniel and two others as administrators to supervise the high officers and to protect the king's interests. Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers because of Daniel's great ability. The king made plans to place him over the entire empire. It's crazy. Then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs, but they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. He was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. So they concluded, our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connecting him with his, with his religion. Worship as a lifestyle. Daniel had so effectively served his God in less than ideal circumstances that his enemies could find no fault. In other words, in fact, it became the thing that they could conspire to use against them. You know, we know that he's so faithful to his God that maybe that's the one area that we can try to trip him up on. So not only has Daniel's reputation preceded him um, with the king, but also with, uh, with his haters, I call them. You know, they, they were jealous of, of Daniel's. None could top him. And so it's interesting that his, what his haters said about him, that he's always responsible, that he's faithful, and he's completely trustworthy. I know we struggle with issues on our job. You know, we don't like our boss. We don't like uh, different scenarios. There's all kinds of things that we don't like uh, in life that we face. And, and sometimes it, it, it's, we're not always faithful because of those things we like. But again, he, he is an example of a man whose you know, life is not his own, if you will, is at, at the uh, behest of the king. And, and yet he's faithful in serving these pagan kings. Uh, but to the point where they cross his God, and, and we'll see what, uh, what I mean by that. Uh, so Daniel was faithful. Uh, Here's an example. Matthew 10 is popping to my mind when it says, blessed are you uh, when you are persecuted for righteousness. In other words, when, uh, the message pushes this way. You're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. This is a perfect example of that. Um, okay, so let's drop down a little bit. Let's see what happened. Wait, wait, I'm running out of time here. So it says, so the administrators and high officers went to the king and they said, long live the king. And they basically talked the king into, um, you know, making a law that, you know, in a certain period of time, nobody could worship any other God, either uh, uh, divine or human. Uh, and the king signs off, though this was a great idea. But what did Daniel do? Verse 10 says, but when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and he knelt down as usual in his upstairs room. When his windows opened, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. And I'm stopping that. My life belongs to Yahweh in his case. I'm going to serve him no matter what. The, that decree didn't face him one iota. He went about worshiping his God as he always did. Verse 13, uh, when, when it came to the king's attention, uh, you know, the king was troubled. He didn't want Daniel to get in trouble. And, and so, you know, in fact, the king tried to find a way to get him out of it. Okay, so, um, but 
having to keep his word. You know, the king's word is everything. You know, he had to concede to their demands. And he, he said to Daniel, verse 16, um, may your God whom you serve so faithfully rescue you. That sounds like a prayer. Like the king is, 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 is you know, uh, is wishing the best for Daniel in return. Uh, and that night, it said, the king returned to his palace and spent the night fasting. I'm just kind of big there. I, I hadn't noticed that before, that he spent the night fasting. He wouldn't eat. He refused his own. It, maybe maybe he was praying to Daniel's God. I don't know. They didn't care about multiple gods uh, the way we do. But anyway, my, my point is to draw your attention to how this affected the king. Very early the next morning, the king got up and he hurried to the lion's den. And when he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God whom you serve so faithfully able to rescue you from the lions? Note Daniel's response. Daniel answered, long live the king. My God sent his angels to shut the lion's mouth so that they would not hurt me. For I have been found innocent in his sight and I have not wronged you, your majesty. Here's another wow. I promise you it's coming. Uh, I'm wrapping up, Steve. Okay. So. Not only was he able to stay faithful to God and to worship consistently, but in doing so, it didn't mean he had to wrong the king. Right? I can I, I can serve you, king, and stay faithful to my God. But when you ask me to do something that crosses my God, now we have another story. Like deny me, um, you know, the, the ability to worship him. And so Daniel was able to do both. Uh, the king was overjoyed and ordered Daniel to be lifted from the lion's den. Not a scratch was found on him and he had, as he had trusted in God. Then the king gave orders to arrest the men who had maliciously accused Daniel. He had them, he had them thrown into the lion's den, along with their wives and children. The lions leaped on them and tore them apart uh, before they even hit the floor. Now, mind you, that was the king's doing. That wasn't Daniel's doing. I want to focus on Daniel and his right responses in this whole scenario. Daniel didn't wish his enemies dead. You know, he, he you know, he, he wasn't, you know, um, he wasn't one in vengeance, but this is what happened. So, you know, the scripture said that vengeance is mine, say after the life. Even in all this, Daniel, nowhere in the scriptures does it say that he was wishing harm on any of the kings. This was the third one that he had served under so far, um, nor even his enemies. He was intent on doing his best, worshiping his God. All right, so we know the, the outcome of that is what happened again. Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius. You, you couldn't stop him because he was faithful to his God. So as you guys are populating questions, I know you are uh, already here. I'm, I'm just thinking of um, some of the thoughts that come with, with, with this, that when we understand that our whole lives belong to God, everything about us belongs to God, then we understand that there's, no scenario when it's that it's okay for us not to obey him, even in situations like this that are less than ideal. That everything we do, we live and breathe and have our being in him. So we're always Christians, not again in ideal situations, just but we're always his, no matter where we are, no matter what scenario. And that when we humble ourselves and when we honor God and we do the things that God has called us to do as Christians, then we then we release God's power to work in ways that we could never, we could never work. And so in, in this case, I mean, you can, you can think about um, in Peter where he says, honor the government, you know, show respect. I mean, the, the, um, the king, you know, that was government. They, they, were the, they were the ones running things. And so um, 
again, as we continue here in this vein of personal worship and worship as a lifestyle, you have more power with God um, in staying true to him. You, you have you have greater ability to affect your world and the things going on by submitting to him and staying faithful to the things of God than you do taking uh, taking things into your own hand. I'll leave you one last verse that um, from, from Zechariah 4 and 6. Uh, when God said to this rubble, it's not by force, nor by strength, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. We are people of God, and we're not going to accomplish uh, things by carnal measures. And so we have to remember that we need to uh, turn to God for help and not rely on our own um, resources, our own, uh, you know, our own methods of doing things. That when we submit ourselves to him, then we unleash his power. All right, I'm going to shut up because I'll keep going and it won't be in time for questions. All right. All right. Well, you may be able to see Leela on your screen that Desi and I are on screen just down in the corner. Yes. And uh, so at, at this point, I think they innovated on our technology a little bit, Desi. That was not an option last week when we did this. So this is better. Well, we I can know keep they're a new platform, so they're still working on it. Although I do. The only challenge is, is while we're doing questions, when I display the question, then it only displays in one of the three. So I'm going to leave us down in the in the bottom. If we don't have any questions, I can take it off spotlight and we can become the three amigos. Though I did see today some I've seen happening on our Facebook page. I don't know. Uh, Desi's kind of agnostic about Facebook, um, but on Facebook, they uh, Joyce posted something about uh, what what gift describes your pastor best. And, and somebody posted the 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 uh, the three stooges. I don't know how to how to reflect that. I'm not sure who are the three because there's there's not share that with me. Yeah, there's so there's nine of us on the pastoral team. So I'm I'm wondering, a is is it like all of us are the three stooges? I did like another post that was even better, and then we'll get the questions. Which was it was uh, I was told by my kids it was not Marvel, it was DC. But the whole you know the whole action figure team that looks pretty good. Yeah, that that one felt pretty good. Um, sister, brother Joe and sister Julie posted. Um, I, I'm sure it had only to do with me, but it had a super dog, you know, with his arm raised in the air, soaring through it. And uh, so that's probably me, little dog with lots of bark. But anyway, um, but I don't know those three stooges. Arash and Desi and I maybe were the three candidates from last week. You know that that profile of three of us. So. I don't know. We'll we'll see. But let's let's turn this over to Desi and see if we can get back to to Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and 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 uh, specifically looking at worship as a lifestyle. All right. So, to everyone, just a reminder: now is the time. If you've got questions or things you'd like us to discuss with Daniel, as I'm looking through it so far, I only see two questions posted. I will pass those along to Leela. But all right. We've got plenty of time, so go ahead and submit your questions. Leela, we'll start with a question from one of our young people that asked, where do you think Daniel was in the story of the three Hebrew boys when they had to bow to the king's image and then were cast into the fire? Daniel's absent from that story. He is absent from that story, and it's right in the middle of these six that story is right in the middle of these six chapters that I just read you and I skipped over tonight. Uh, hey, I don't know. Exactly leave enough answer. He's somewhere around the kingdom. Um, I do think that Daniel was um, um, a leader, so it seemed, in the kingdom. 
you know, I, I think Daniel was probably very instrumental in this is me thinking, but I'm just picking up from, mm-hmm. you know, in the very beginning when um, Daniel pushed back about the food. You know, and you, you see Daniel being the one speaking, initiating. And so I, I think that Daniel showed some leadership amongst the Hebrews who were in uh, Babylon at that time. And perhaps he helped strengthen them to stay faithful. This, this is me speculating, but uh, mm-hmm. I don't know where he was in particular. But, you know, you know, he was around because uh, his stories encapsulates theirs in this in, in that right. chapters. Beyond that, I don't know, baby. Fair enough. The safest biblical answer is that we don't know. He's absent from the story. Um, if you want a different perspective, Steve, I believe you did a series on Daniel some years ago. This predates, you know, my work at this church. But it, correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't you do a series on Daniel? I did. I did. I did, a ser- I did a series on Daniel. Uh, currently, and you, we don't you proposed a different. I did. I proposed an alternative theory. Uh, you can probably find it if you do an old webcast and um a podcast search it's probably out there uh one thing uh our executive assistant's really good at sleuthing those things out you might reach out to joyce uh call the church office and because currently it's not up it was on our old website we need to get it up because i like the series but in in 30 seconds the theory is is that daniel was actually there and the idea is is that daniel in that he had ascended he had become prominent and he felt the pressure to simply stand by he was on the dais which meant that he would not necessarily have been bowing all of the people were being called to it but was he he was he had risen to such prominence he was on the dais with the king and so he stood by he held silent um and the reason the theory and it is very much what desi already said it's very much a theory Mm-hmm. Uh, you cannot prove it. The theory is, is because silent, because Daniel is so absent in the story at that point. Why is he so absent? And that's the starting question. Why is he not present? The rest mm-hmm. of the entire book, he's present in every, every piece of it. And so the starting right. question is, is, is it possible that he was there? And the reason he's so silent is because he, in fact, didn't do the right thing. His three boys that had hung with him did the right thing, and he did not. Now, if that theory is mm-hmm. correct, closes out the story that puts a whole nother context to his response under Darius because now the scripture scripture says that Daniel intentionally opened his windows Uh he could Uh have left his windows closed and still prayed there was it but why did he intentionally open his windows Uh insisting that they see him and the, the theory behind it is he was in fact redeeming himself from a previous mistake of pressure. And it actually, for me, adds mm-hmm. something to it because we make mistakes in our worship. Uh-huh. We feel pressures from society around us and from our jobs and from our family. And uh, But again, the safest biblical ironclad firm answer is we don't know where Daniel is. That was a little bit of conjecture, conjecture exegetical conjecture on my part. You can hate me or love me for it. But that was my, that was my thoughts. And yeah. we didn't want to. And it, it takes a while to unpack it. That's why I referenced that previous series. If people can find that podcast, because I, I think I did I, three or four sermons on it. That, that did I multiple lessons unpacking that. Right. Right. It all seems very it also seems pretty inconsistent, though, that he would bow. Now I know we're just jumping off on a somewhat a rabbit trail here, but but it just 
it's not consistent with anything that we do see that he actually did or that he refrained from in those chapters. But it is. That's part of what attracts me because I've we're working a lot of years and we humans are highly inconsistent. <laughs> so I'm, yeah. I, and, and part of the part of the premise is Desi turns to the next question. Part of the premise is is we many times we lift these biblical characters up as if they're better than us, and they're not. They right. are they are broken just like us. They are tempted just like us. They have struggles just like us. And so many times we lift them up so high that we can't ever reach them. And so that was the drive of having people recognize the humanity. Desi, you got another question? I do. So I'm going to take another question and it's, it's a bit lengthy. So I'm going to see if I can reword it and summarize it a little bit. Okay. Um, and it says in the, in the diverse world that we live in, why do you think it is so hard for us to keep our worship and teaching and our beliefs out in our workplace? Do you think that we still fear now, perhaps more than ever, that we might offend someone with what we say or how we act and perhaps jeopardize our employment or those around us? We see Daniel in these very adverse circumstances. You know, so what do we do? Yeah. How do you think that affects us now? Can well, you help us tie it to the present day? Sure. I, I, one thing I think about is that and I'm, I'm not sure whether this is a North American thing. I've only been here, you know, but I know we have this mentality that we we um, we segment things. In other words, when we go to church, you know, we behave one way. You know, we did that whole um, series not too long ago on culture versus Bible. You know, it, it's when we go to church that we dress a certain way. We behave a certain way. There's this whole culture within church. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and, and then you, when you go here, you do this and you go here to do that. And that's really the the evidence behind this whole series we're talking about, that if worship is your life, if, if you serve God always, you know, that you know, you, you've heard people say, well, I'm in church. I'm not going to say that. Or, you know, there's all these little goofy things we say um, because we're in church. And that, that that's indicative of a mentality. You know, is our God confined to a church building? But if he is, we're in trouble because right now right. we ain't in it, you know. And if God is confined, then how are you conducting yourself in your home? And, and so I don't, it's a, it is definitely a mentality. Um, you know, I've heard people say, you know, they, they wear certain things to church because they're going to honor God. Don't you honor God always? So anyway, my point is that's the whole point of this series is to kind of deal with that mentality that if, uh, if our whole lives belong to God, then we worship him wherever we are in every way on the workplace. I mean, you know, I, I was a manager at Christiana for years. And I, and I had lots of Christians that worked for me. And you know, there's just this thing about what's okay to do. In this case, just using Daniel as an example. I mean, he was a, a situation where, you know, he was working, you can say, for this pagan king. Right. Um, you know, and, and but he didn't, he didn't disrespect the man. He didn't cheat him. He didn't, you know, them anyway. You know, he didn't, he didn't do wrong because this man was ungodly. And I, and, and I um, have experience in my, my work, experience that, you know, when people don't like what the boss do, does or when they don't like what the company does, it gives them license somehow to step out of their Christianity, if you will, and, and behave in ways that are not pleasing to God. And it's, it shouldn't be. So I don't know where the mentality started from. Um, Scott, I think I saw that was you. Um, but I know that it's it's prevalent. Um, and and so really, that's what we're dealing with. We need to worship God in, in every scenario, whether a consistency to our lifestyle. 
whether we're yeah. at church or at work or at home. That's, that's exactly right. Yeah. You know, we had the little funny saying, I don't know who started years ago with the WWJD, what would Jesus do? You know, really, when you're faced with things, you have to always remember to whom you belong, first and foremost. We're Christians. Mm -hmm. you know? And what would God have me do in this scenario? Right. Now, you, you know, I don't want to be flailing, you know, being ineffective in these situations. How many times have you taken situations in your own hands and they just came up horrible? You know, but if you give them to God, if you conduct yourself in a way that's pleasing to him, just taking Daniel as an example, God shows up. Or, and at the very least, you haven't brought dishonor to God. Because sometimes our behavior in taking things in our own hands actually dishonor our God. Mm -hmm. Thank yep. you for answering that. We'll go on to another one. And you've still got time. If anybody wants to submit any other questions, you're welcome to do that either through YouTube or Facebook. As you submit those questions, it's fed through a separate stream to Stephen and I, and then we will share them with Leela. Here's a question coming from Ruth Lanciano. It's an excellent question. She asks, how do we discern between civil disobedience as when Daniel prayed with his window open and when to obey the law, as in how Daniel allowed his name to be changed. So we see in Daniel times when Daniel did work with the laws of the land. And yet we also see very clearly in Daniel 6, a time where he practiced, this is a modern term, but it's a fair way to describe it, this idea of civil disobedience. Uh-huh. Yeah. I think there's a, um, the term, you know, pick your battles might come in handy here. Yeah. You know? <laughs> You see clearly, uh, clearly illustrated in this uh, in this text that Daniel was was solid about who he was, right? You know that. You know, I, I forgot. I had I had what his name meant, and, and I it just went out of my head right now. God is my judge. God is my judge. Thank you, Desi, whose real name is Daniel. Now that I just remember it, sorry, I put you on blast, Desi. Um, but yeah, God is my judge. Like Daniel, Daniel had it clear. Who he was, you know. Yeah. Again, maybe I'm saying maybe the name thing didn't mean much to him. You know, you know, you see, and even in the text, you, you see that the, their Babylonian names and their Hebrew names were kind of used interchangeably um, in the text. Um, but what comes to mind here is, is, is picking your battles. You, you, when it came time to crossing his God, like refusing uh, or not allowing him to worship, you saw that Daniel stood his ground. No, I'm drawing a line, not doing that. I, or should I say, mm -hmm. I'm going to continue to do that. Um, so I, I did just so many things that we're bombarded with that you, you know, we would be flailing all kinds of things. Again, I'm talking about injustices, things that come up that when it doesn't infringe on your faith, that's how I put it. You know, I mean, when you, when you, when you tell me I can't honor my God, when you tell me I can't, that now you're crossing a line. Some of the other things may be less significant. That, that's kind of my general take on it. But And it could be, and, and that's what we see in the story, if I can jump in. In Daniel 1, I, you rightly pointed out the issue was not meat versus vegetables. The issue was food that had been sacrificed to idols. Correct. And he's saying, no, no, this, this crosses a line in my relationship with God that I cannot cross. And Desi, if I could jump in too, I've, I've been monitoring the chat also. And, and this this uh, question intersects very nicely with Scott's earlier question um, that 
part of it is is paying attention to the context in which we live as well um and discerning between now this is going to sound you're going to think i'm wishy-washy and what i'm asking you here okay christian listen to me though it discerning the context in which you live and how that intersects with the commands and laws of god we americans have trouble having our rights in any way impinged on we're oh, used yeah. to going around and doing whatever we bloom and want demanding our rights absolutely right. we are an agitated people i'm yes, just going to we, are. we are. are an arrogant people i've traveled internationally mm -hmm. enough that we are and i'm myself american so i'm not throwing any stones okay i'm not saying i should be but i'm saying that i am i think that the world should move and get a move on it when i flash my american passport okay uh -huh. So part of that, we live that way within North America, okay? We even act that way, forgive us, our northern good neighbors. Yeah. We even act that way towards our Canadian brothers and sisters. Mm -hmm. We act arrogant, okay? That intersects with what we consider being obedient to God. Uh -huh. See, the Bible paints a totally different picture. Mm -hmm. It paints a picture of a witness that we would consider silent but the Bible considers very loud. And it's what this week is about, which is a witness that is based not in what we say, but in I how we live. That's, right. That's exactly right. And so sometimes I think we struggle with, because we live in a society, North America and the United States in particular, is not a Christian nation. Uh -huh. And now I'm probably, I'll get lots of hate mail out of this. Okay, I don't care. So let we me finish your answer. We can say, and, and this we can argue definitively that at this point america is a post-christian nation absolutely absolutely we and and that's the context i'm not even arguing whether we were once a christian nation that's not the point the point is is we are not currently a christian nation the tenets of our forefathers was that anyone could live here with freedom of religion so that means that my rights have limits mm -hmm. and the limits are leela's rights Anytime my rights impinge on Leela's rights or Leela's rights impinge on my rights, we have to create a buffer zone. And so a lot of times we get very confused by thinking because we, in order to show respect to one another in that environment, we, we don't get to be blatantly or militantly Christian. You're missing the point of worship as witness. You're missing the point of lifestyle as worship. Mm -hmm. Because how you treat your employees is worship. How you conduct yourself in the midst of crisis is How worship. you respond to your employer. Yes. Exactly. Absolutely. How and you deal you with a person who doesn't believe like you do and maybe even comes after you is, in fact, itself witness. And you have to, and there has to be a balance. I'm going to step on, if you're doing it, I'm going to step on toes a little bit. Something to think about in a secular work environment. Mm -hmm. and I've been bivocational my entire ministry up until last year. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm not unfamiliar with this. I'm intimately familiar with this. And I've worked for small little places and I've worked for large Fortune 100 companies and massive corporate environments. Part of that freedom of religion is also learning to respect the rights of other religions. And so mm -hmm. as Christians, we need to learn to be respectful in our interactions with those who are not of the Christian faith. 
And sometimes it requires us to take a breath and pause and step back and think. If I want the right for a Christian chaplain to be able to open with prayer on the Senate floor, then I can't be too upset when a Muslim imam does the same thing or a Hindu priest. And I know I'm going to make people angry by saying that. But if I have the rights to express prayer and to worship, and I'm grateful for those rights, that means other people have those rights as well. Correct. And I can respectfully disagree and mm -hmm. yet still be a Christian in my interaction. Being a Christian doesn't mean that I have to stomp around and be angry with everybody else because they don't do it the way that I do it. Right. Yeah. And I think Daniel is an awesome example because he lives in a totally pagan environment. Right. And he draws the lines. We see Paul right. do the same thing when he's in Athens and he draws the line. So I think I think we're the ones with the problems. And that's why I started Desi and Leela with the example of us Americans. We, we yeah. have an arrogance problem that really our Christianity calls us to humble ourselves. Um, all right. Take yeah, it away, Jesse, before we make too many people angry and uh, give us another question. I think we have time for two more questions, depending on how fast she answers this. So if you, you had to narrow... Down, all right, here's a question from Meg. If you had to narrow down the reason or reasons why Daniel was so consistent with his faith and worship in the midst of a crisis, what would you say those reasons are? Why, why do you feel, and I agree, that Daniel set up as this example for us. What do you think are the reasons that he was able to be so consistent? Well, again, I can only speculate. Um, but one, I, I thought about, and I'm not sure how this plays in, to be honest, but I thought about uh, at the beginning of, this, of the story, you know, talk about how the, the, they took those from the royal family uh, and those of nobility. And, and I wonder if, and I when I did a little research in Daniel, I didn't find where Daniel came from. Obviously, he was he was from one of those families. You know, perhaps royalty understands royalty. You know, and the and the um, the authority and how it works. Uh, perhaps it could have been some of that in terms of. Okay, I'm 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 totally out of control here. Here. You know, me as a man, me, meaning, you know, as a mere man, I'm not going to prevail. You know, what I mean, in fact, you know, I'm at the, I'm at the king's mercy. The king, you know, the king is everything, especially in, in those times. I'm at his mercy. So, um, you know, in my flesh, I'm not going to win. You know, uh, but but I think that the, the, the consistency factor. More than likely happened before. Daniel ever hit uh, ever hit Babylon that he was a worshiper always anyway. And so, and sometimes when you're in dire situation, I'm throwing in multiple things. My brain is broken here. You know, what choice did Daniel have? In other words, there's no mm -hmm. distractions. I'm here. I'm here. Um, you know, in the King service and, um, you know, it's the best I can do. It's to, it's to, it's to maybe, you know, if he wasn't so faithful before, we don't know. And, and, and now we lean into this thing because I need God more than ever. You think about how in, in your life, sometimes we're wishy-washy in our walk. But when we hit a crisis, oh, yeah. we get dedicated. You know what I mean? It, it, it sobers us <laughs> up. So, you know, I, I don't know. We don't have much of the, the pre-story about Daniel, but maybe, maybe some of that. Um, you know, some of you are in Christ right now because you hit a 
a huge crisis in life when life became out of control and you know it, it became you know uh, abundantly clear that you needed God to get you out of that scenario or get you through that scenario. So perhaps it's uh, some of that. Thank you. All right, we're coming to the top of the hour and I appreciate all of you who have been posting and I thank you for the questions. We've got one, one, one more, one more question and we're going to end on a high note. Ooh. Most important question. You ready for this? I didn't throw out you a lightning round like we did Arash last week. So keep oh, it in mind. So closing out tonight. You can't do that because there are children, Desi, that are scarred now that the unicorns were eaten by 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 the T-Rex. Yeah, no, 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 by the dinosaurs. The T-Rex died of a virus, but oh, that's right. Yeah, dinosaurs. COVID we're gonna one. have to rock back some other time in the future for another lightning round. Maybe we could take like 20 minutes and just have people populate, but that's not where we're going tonight. Tonight, final question tonight. You brace for this, Leela. Are you ready? Oh boy, here we go. All right, Daniel chapter six, story of Daniel and the lions. What kind of lions were they? Were they African lions, savanna lions, or Lion King lions? <laughs> they were definitely not Lion King lions. <laughs> Which actually they were African lions, so that was that's a catch twenty two. So you asked the same question: African lions and African lions. I don't know. I always envision them, you know. Male lions are the ones with the big mane, right? I always envision the big, you know, those things are, woo, they give you the chill. So, anyway. should you tell her, Desi? But I'll tell you, if I came across a female lion out in the wilderness, like I wouldn't want to tangle with her either. I don't know. I don't want to be funny. Yeah. Wait, are you being funny? What was the catch? Oh, I, I think you should tell him who, tell, tell her who asked the question. <laughs> Caleb. Caleb would oh, like to. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't think I'm not sure it was a serious, serious, serious question. It could have been. <laughs> Thank you, Caleb. All right. Well, folks, that brings us to the close Thank of the hour. All right. We're glad that you're able to be here. Let me remind you: if you have not joined us in small groups, you need to. In this season that we're in, this is the key, and you can do that by going to newyorkqpc.info. You can also uh, partner with us in giving there uh, through our digital giving. You also can submit prayer requests, which we take very seriously and pray with you. Any needs that you have, you can find uh, previous broadcasts, links to all of that. Our media archive is there. So lots of good stuff at newarkupc.info. To our church family, over the next several weeks, if you happen to have gone to newarkupc.org, you may have first found nothing, then you found nothing but a holder page. But we're looking for that will become our front-facing website, and that's getting worked on. So be patient with us as we work on that and get things going there. Um, but to all the rest of you and, and to everyone, thank you for joining us tonight. And uh, we're going to have a great week coming up. We're celebrating Pentecost on Sunday, but it'll start on Saturday night. Got a great broadcast Saturday night. And you don't want to miss this Friday night with friends. We get to have a distinguished guest, Brother Bruce Howe, who is the Global Missions Director. So all of the missions efforts of the United Pentecostal Church, uh, he leads those efforts. He's going to be with us at 7 o'clock on Friday night. You don't want to miss that. And then we're going to celebrate Pentecost across the, all of next week. So we're going to have a great time together. Be safe, everyone. We love you. And as I Thanks like to say, good night. Good night. Good night. Good night.